This is the Copper Crab Podcast. I am Cheney Crab. I am Naveen Copperweiss. Uh, so today we just put out pre-orders for the brand new Entheos in Purgatory long sleeves. You can get those at our big cartel, entheosofficial.bigcartel.com. Go and pick one up. Uh, if you want to see us live, come to the Whitechapel Christmas show on the December 22nd in Knoxville, Tennessee. We also just announced a European tour with Archspire and Psychroptic and Benighted. So go and check that out. Uh, today on the podcast... Our guest is John Longstreth, yeah. who is, um, yeah, what's Drummer up, Drummer extraordinaire. Drummer extraordinaire. The master. <laughs> I'm spilling tea everywhere. Oh, no. I'm sorry. Wipe up the tea. <laughs> yeah, yeah sorry, sorry, guys. All right, no problem. Now you're going to spill tea I, on the podcast. True. I, I just <laughs> spilled tea on the podcast. It's going to get all wet. Uh, uh, do you need to grab a towel or something? We can uh, hold hold down the fort here. Okay. Okay, good to sick. Go. All right. And napkins. So how's it going, What's man? Up, guys? What's up? I'm good. I'm great. I've got all kinds of crazy things happening. What are you guys up to other than playing massive shows and going on massive tours with Archspire <laughs> um, and release? <laughs> we are Bing. hanging at the house, uh, working on music a lot, and, and trying not to trying to keep our heads attached to our bodies. Sounds terrible. Yeah, I know. Oh it's, a, it's a pretty good time. Wait. You're about to go on a, a European tour as well, right? Yeah, we're going out with Monstrosity. January, we go over to Europe for 30 days. Okay. Um, we haven't been to Europe in five years, so oh, I don't damn. know. I, we haven't been to Europe in, in five years, and I don't recall having seen Monstrosity do much of anything for a long time. Um, but Is that who we you know, saw it, in Kentucky or no? No. Okay. Excuse me? Oh, I thought we might have seen them, but no, we I, saw I guess Atheist. We oh, Atheist. Mm-hmm. Mm, it's another fantastic band from back then. Yeah. No, nah, Monstrosity is doing 30 years of Imperial Doom. Oh, wow. sick. So, okay. yeah, that's a, one of those That's one of those old school death metal records that more people should know, um, you know, because that's like, that's where you first hear George Corpse Grinder Fisher, you know, so... He was on that, and oh, I okay. think he was on the second one, Millennium, and then everybody bought Vile, and they heard that opening scream. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, yeah, and all of a sudden, everybody just talks about his neck all the time. <laughs> what about his voice? That uh, is so his voice? true. His voice, and, and there's no cupping. Yeah, no cupping. Just... I mean, we were talking about that last week, like the no cupping. He's yeah. cup-phobic. Like, he holds it so far down. There's no not a chance you're gonna think that I'm not that I'm cupping this mic. It's yeah. not happening. Yeah, yeah. You Don't can't even, I'm not even in that. the vicinity of cupping. Forget about it. <laughs> no. He does it's have brutal. a massively big neck, so I get why it's talked about. But yeah, it's become almost a, a metal meme. Sure, it has. You know, like a, a lot of people when they're working out, they'll do circles with their arms or whatever to get their shoulders big, or they'll do circles with their hips to make yeah. their he does circles with his neck every night. That's true. So of course he's got muscle neck. Yeah, that's totally true. It's a famous neck, that's for sure. Famous neck. So I, uh, yeah. you live in New York now, right? New York City. Yeah, uh, we are in Brooklyn. I have a window that overlooks the fancy streets of Brooklyn. It's fantastic. We got here in August. I've been in New York City for seven years now. Before that, I was in upstate New York. So I actually left Kansas in two thousand three. Two. Three. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Where did you live in and upstate New York? Saratoga Springs. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Skinless moved me up there. 
Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, I remember that. I saw you at Skinless. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Where? Uh, at the Pound in San Francisco. And it was like the singer crowd surfed like to the bar. He would have. I remember yeah. the Pound. I had a little, Every show I ever played at the Pound was absolutely over the top. Yeah, I was there at all of them. <laughs> absolutely not. Actually, there was one that you guys played with Origin at the Pound that I didn't go, I didn't go to and I like regret it forever cuz everybody talks about it. It was you guys yeah. and uh I believe I could be totally wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was you guys and Poison the Well. Did that ever happen or am I just wrong? Poison the Well, th- yeah, that was Origin, Poison the Well, Candaria, and Cryptops. Yeah. Holy <laughs> shit. You hear that lineup, dude? Candaria I mean, that is so well. sick. Candaria scared the shit out of all of us, man. Yeah. Oh, I bet. Yeah, I mean, Ken Shock. That's, I mean, yeah. for me, that's a great drumming lineup oh right there. God. You and Ken Shock on the same lineup. Kenny would do the funniest thing, man. He, um, he hit his drum so hard, and, you know, he was changing out broken cymbals every night. But he would take his drumsticks and he would scrape them on the pavement because he liked the stick, but he didn't like how round the tip was because he was pitting out his heads too hard. So he would, it's like, okay. I go around the back of the venue one day and I just see him kind of like down on his haunches, just (laughs) against the sidewalk. I'm like, what are you doing? And he explained it to me and I've never seen anybody do that since. Yeah, dude, I went to, um, so I didn't go to that show, which now I really regret not going because i forgot that candiria was on it i don't know if i knew who you guys were at the time but i saw i was trying to remember like me and my brother used to go to all the metal shows at the pound and uh origin opened a show for another metal tour and i was trying to remember who it was and i I just can't and uh that's how i found out about you guys and i was like and i'm like this whatever 16 year old 15 year old getting I'm way into death metal, you know, play drums and stuff. And I see you go on stage up out of nowhere. It's like my life's never been the same since that night. If like the <laughs> first time we went there must have been in 2000. Mm. It's prob- hard to say because that Cryptopsy tour was 2001, I think. It was probably maybe- shortly. I feel like it was shortly after that. I feel like you guys were touring a lot in that time. And it was like, because I saw you guys... Uh, shortly after that, you opened for another tour. I can't remember who it was, but I remember, I remember, uh, James being like, oh, so-and-so is going to come on next and they're going to like, they're really going to blow you away if you thought that we were brutal. And I remember being like, he's out of his mind. Like they're the next band is cause I knew the next band and I was like, they're nowhere near what I just saw, you know? <laughs> cause, uh, Informus wasn't out yet. And like the next day I went to the store and bought the first the first album that's on uh, Relapse. I think it's just the was self-titled. Was it Vader? It was Vader. might have gone through there with yeah. Vader. Okay, so that was an... I, th- I feel like when you played the show with Vader, I was there, and that was uh, after Informus was already out. And uh, I feel like you guys opened. You played first. And I just went there and watched you guys and then went home. Man, we toured with Vader twice around that point in time. Okay, and... so it could have been... yeah. You been. know, so I got to, I got, that was like, really, that was maybe more eye-opening as far as death metal drums is concerned. I mean, Kenny Shock is a fantastic drummer, but he's not a death metal drummer. But no, no. going yeah. to be on tour with Doc from Vader was 
you know, rest in peace, of course. But watching that guy play every night, that was fantastic. That's, like, there's still, there are lessons that I still hold to daily just from those couple of tours. Okay. Wow. What, uh, can you, what, are, what are some of them? Couple, one little lesson here. Well, it's funny because, <laughs> sorry, I'm shaking out my tea bag. Um, <laughs> that was a point in time, and, and I, re- I, I hate bringing this topic up because it's such an old topic, and it's such a back-in-my-day topic, and it was, you know, kind of, we used to, I used to be able to buy a bag of bread for a nickel kind of bullshit, yeah. but, you know, you weren't, you you had to single-foot everything, you know, mm-hmm. and for people that don't understand, a traditional blast beat, you know, where the kick is going, you were supposed to play that with one foot. You weren't supposed to split it up between your, you know, what instead of And if you did this with your, with two feet, it was considered, you know, cheating at the time. But I had never seen anybody really do it to the effect that Doc doc did and doc had all this this other other stuff going on with his playing um other aside from the fact that he just didn't really talk about it that much You're like that was awesome he thank you and <laughs> but he would get up there and play these two foot blasts and i'm like who is making fun of that that's yeah, yeah. fantastic and but you know and ever since then it's like nobody that ever really minimal exceptions nobody that ever talked shit on this two foot versus one foot thing could really get anywhere near the level doc's playing was on so he also taught me how to trigger the kick drum and the snare drum separately with a d4 okay yeah. um <clears throat> i didn't i didn't i did not stick with that but it, it, it was pretty funny getting the elisis dm4 lesson from doc all right it's just like just watching those guys work as a unit, that was like the yeah. first time we really got to get out with what we considered at the time a true proper death metal band. Mm-hmm. And they just, we picked up a lot of little mm-hmm. tricks from those guys. And, and you know, like I said, got to do it twice. So it's awesome. That's Vader. So those were like the first couple of tours that you went on with Origin? Vader? Yeah. Wow. Uh no. Uh the first tour we did would was two thousand and my god. That was uh Cephalic Carnage Exhumed and 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 an origin. Cephalic Carnage Exhumed and Origin it was Contamination Tour two thousand. Wow. And in in regional areas we picked up um deceased today is the day. We picked up Mastodon for a couple of show for a, like a show, I think, when they were first starting. Um, yeah, all kinds of interesting little bands. Deeds of Flesh might have been in there once, but that was really cool because that was like a very relapse centric thing, and it was kind of like what relapse looked like in two thousand. You know, was yeah. pretty damn exciting. Dude, it was the best, man. That's like all I listened to at that at that point in time, like from the early two thousands. It was just like were you, you on the relapse message board. Uh, I don't think I, I wasn't really online a whole lot, so I didn't really delve into message boards and that sort of thing, but yeah, listening to like you guys, Dying Fetus, Cephalic, um, Uphill Battle, I mean, oh, yeah, Danny Walker. List yeah. goes on. I feel like I saw Origin with Uphill Battle. 
you were well wait a minute i thought because the story within the origin camp you know about your old band when you guys toured together with 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 malevolent creation those guys still yeah. tell stories about that tour and i thought really? until battle was part of that no actually okay it's coming back to me now i have a memory uh uphill battle did some kind of tour with okay because i saw origin i've seen you guys obviously a ton of times on the tour that we did with them with m james was playing drums but i've seen them with you a number of times too but i saw i think that was a separate tour it was origin and uphill battle and james was playing drums but you were there and it was in yeah, San i was Fr- there yeah i was there playing with exhumed okay uh. yeah yeah you were there and uh yeah, you were like watching James and I was like, man, that must suck for him, you know. But then I was like, he did pretty good, you know, it was like awesome. Uh and Uphill Battle played and I think that's how I found out about them because I was like, whoa, Danny's super sick and like their band was great. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And I think that, that I think cool. that night I saw I saw you at the bar like showing somebody how to do I think you were showing Leon from Impaled how to do like a one-handed roll like the gravity thing at the time i don't think it was called the gravity blast i was just like what the hell is that i think what happened there was um i think i was that in like was that in in the in the bay area was that in california yeah was that the pound is that the pound was that the pound I feel like I might have been there practicing with Exhumed or some shit like that because yeah. that would have been around 2000, 2004, I think. Yeah, it was probably right after uh, Informus came out in 2002, correct? Informus yeah. was 2002 and I was out of the band, you know, I wasn't intentionally out of the band, but I was taking a break as as I thought I was doing at that point in time. Okay. I'm going to go take a break and... And it didn't quite go that way. And I ended up being out of the band shortly after the start of 2003. Mm-hmm. So you just decided to take a break because you didn't want to tour? We were having a rough time. We were out on tour and we had just... We went out with this this booking company and who he shall rename. Rename. <laughs> rename Mameless. <laughs> Remain Nameless. Rename Nameless. Remain Mameless. <laughs> And they, it just, it sucked, man. Cause we were out with Immolation and, and the, this, this Australian band, um, I can't quite remember the name off the top of my head. I'm having a real hard time remembering things, but we were, <laughs> you out and with Immolation. we were out for like five weeks. Oh, the Berserker. And Berserker. At the end yeah. of the tour, we had like three weeks of basically club dates, headlining club dates. And it was right before Christmas. And we weren't making any money, and we had we had a creeping suspicion that the booking agent wasn't paying us money because every night was a deposit night, oh. and we didn't talk about that right now. But <clears throat> classic, yeah, right. And, <laughs> and we got we and nobody was getting along, and it really sucked. And everybody got home and was just kind of like, ah, fuck off. And everybody went home, and we were starting to talk about this other tour. I didn't like the idea of it, and then I just decided, okay, I'm gonna go. I'm, I need a break. I need to step out of the band for a bit, and I need to go. And incidentally, I'm going to go to upstate New York and help Skinless write the new Skinless record, and then I'll come back at some point in time. Got it. And that's that's just I just kind of launched that at Adam, and they're like, okay, 
Um, okay. And then shortly after they, without hearing much from me, they decided, okay, let's find a drummer. And, you know, that sucked for me, but at the same time, I understand why, because I wasn't doing it the right way either, so... Yeah, of course. That's kind of how it goes, though, you know? I mean, that type of shit is what the monetary struggles, the being on tour for weeks on end and not really playing good shows and not making any money, that can lead people to to want to make that move. And I totally understand why you would do that. Oh, yeah. 100%. And for anyone who doesn't know, the the thing that you're talking about with booking agents taking every night's a deposit night... So some nights when we are on tour, our booking agent will get a deposit. Like they'll be given our guarantees to go toward our booking fee at the end yeah. of the tour. So if you're dealing with a good agent, they just take the fees that they're owed and all is well. But if you're dealing with a crappy agent, then they will screw you out of money if you're in that kind of position. Perfect. And... <laughs> The booking agent we have right now, he's he's wonderful. And, you know, but it, they they always do seem to take it's like it's kind of like taxes if you do if you claim zero on your W2. <laughs> and at the end of the year, you get that big chunk of cash at the end if you've done your taxes right. So that's kind of what they always take I'm like, "Really? They're taking that much?" You know, like all of a sudden our guarantee is chopped in half. Yeah. Yeah. And it's being sent somewhere else. So but yeah, but it's like that ends up being one of the payoffs at the end of the tour. And it usually comes about a month later after they've paid everything and then yeah, we I get know. the rest of what's left. I'm like, oh, cool. More right. Money. It's a nice little surprise. So it is. So James is the only other drummer who is in origin. Is that correct? George Fluke was the original, original drummer. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. So you joined after George. How many years yeah. after the band? Like, so Paul started the band with. Paul started the band with Jeremy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeremy. Okay, so Paul Ryan and vocalist Mark Manning, Jeremy Turner, and Clinton Applehands, which are both in Unmerciful. So that's what the band started with. And if, yeah, George Fluke was playing drums. And he's actually the guy that came up with the one handed roll concept. If you listen to the first yeah. demo yep. or the demo, you know, coming into existence. Yep. And I think he picked that up from Dennis Chambers. I think Dennis Chambers was futzing around with it on a drum clinic at one point in time. And the story goes, Paul would tease George and he would say, you can never blast as fast as I could pick. And one day George calls up and says, yes, I can. I think I can do this. And he came to practice and had the one-handed roll thing down. Okay. Um, Yeah, because I was was going to... Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because it's clearly on that demo uh, coming into existence. He's doing the like gravity blast thing. Although yeah. I, I didn't know that's what it was called. Uh, did you guys call it that? You didn't call it that, right? I called it the gravity drive. Okay. I thought I was being cute because <clears throat> I was taking, um, I was ripping off the movie Event Horizon. And because he, I don't know if you guys have seen that movie or not. Yeah, I have. Great movie. He talks about, he takes a sheet of paper. And he, like, draws an A and a B on it. And they're like, what's the fastest? And the fastest, you know, direction between the, oh, from A to B. He goes, no. And he folds a piece of paper in half and he puts the pen through it. And he goes, it's through. So it folds (laughs) space-time. And I'm like, you know what? Here's what the one-handed roll does is 
you draw out a blast bead in notation and then you fold it in half and it's doubled. Brrr, and there you go. It's the gravity drive. And okay. Whoa. Somebody else changed. I don't know who called it gravity blast, but you know, after a while, they're just kind of like gravity drive. That's fucking stupid. Why am I? Why am I naming this thing? It's just a one-handed roll. Yeah. And wow, and then so eventually it started coming it. back to me as gravity blast and that just sounds like some kind of a bong rip or a yeah thing. true it does. true wow so you Again. actually coined the term i didn't know uh loosely yeah okay <laughs> how do you feel how do you feel about that <laughs> the one-handed roll I, I struggle with it because it's it's very stiff it's it's yeah it, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh there's a lot of elbow grease that goes into that move especially with how fast we play these days in comparison to how fast we played 15, 20 years ago. Like, on the first and second records, you know, nothing nothing got up over 220, really. So yeah. it was manageable. But now that we're up and over 250 on the albums and up to who knows where live. Um, yeah, yeah. Right. It's just, and then it does, and it, it's tough because... You're competing. You got you got such a small stroke on on an acoustic snare drum against a kick trigger. Yeah, yeah. Right. Against walls of amplification and and a barking frothing vocalist, <laughs> and it's just like it makes sense to people who know it's there. To other people, he's like, "Why did the snare drum disappear? And why is his arm in a weird position?" <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, if the snare if the snare is super tight, cranked, you can hear it pretty well. I mean, you can hear the gravities pretty well. Uh, when when you whenever I saw you guys, I, I would hear it no problem. One of the things I did, I switched to a metal snare. I'm like, as far as live stuff is concerned, now I'm like, I I use a I use a cast steel snare with Origin these days, and it's just fourteen by five, and it's just like, okay, super loud. Yeah, I remember that old so, snare you had. You had like a fourteen. It was really deep. It was like an old Tama, I think. It was brown. Oh, it's a sonar. That's a sonar signature. Okay. It's like a HLD something something, and that's a twelve ply beach yeah, shell with yeah. inner and outer babinga plies. That's what that is. Okay, I always remember you playing that. It's a nice drum. It sits in my. It sits in my my studio now. It does not go out. That's smart. That's a smart move. Yeah, smart move. So you joined, George was in the band playing drums, and you joined how long after that? That I'm a little, uh, I don't know. It must have been a couple of months after he just, I think he just kind of gave him, gave him the fade and just stopped returning phone calls and all that stuff. Or was wow. too busy for rehearsal. And I had just, been released from angel corpse mm -hmm. and so i was just kind of you know bouncing around the scene in a, in a couple of different bands and i ran into paul and jeremy at a six feet under show in topeka kansas okay and and this was before six feet under was big and it was grim man it was uh like five people at the show so i just ended up sitting at the bar <clears throat> and paul comes up to me he goes i know who you are and I need a drummer. And I'm like, you're weird. <laughs> <laughs> he yeah. was just, he just walks right up to me and just starts talking. And I'm like, ah, who's this guy? <laughs> and, you know, Jeremy was right behind him. And, and he, here's, here's my demo. I'm like, took it home. And, 
and eventually listened to it and was blown the fuck away. I'm yeah. like, man, this is crazy. What is happening? What's the snare drum doing? Why? Why yeah. does it? There's no guitar solos. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And yeah, I was impressed, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna join that band. And there you go. Oh. Um, Jeremy had me out to his place, and I auditioned with Jeremy. Mm-hmm. And then about. I'd say about a couple weeks later, Jeremy and Paul and Mark came out to my rehearsal studio because we were about a half an hour away from each other at the time. So they came out and we had our first rehearsals and rest is rest is gravy, right? Yeah. Wow. Well, so I know that you you were in Angel Corpse before Origin. Uh, was there anything else before that? Or how did you get into being a death metal yeah, drummer? That's a, that's a good question. I want to know that. I saw Dave Koros playing for Malevolent Creation when they were doing the Eternal Tour. Um, I had joined a band in Kansas called Malicious Intent, mm-hmm. and it had some form of blast beats, you know, that, 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 on the snare drum, and I was just like, kind of sounds like Morbid Angel, so I went for that and was just sort of fumbling about, and then we ended up, we all went out and saw a malevolent creation play. And I knew that this guy, Dave was playing drums on this album. And that's the first time I actually got to watch a death metal drummer up close. So watching that guy and having a lot of things, cause it doesn't look the way it sounds. It looks like this guy is sounds like this guy is murdering the drums, but then you watch Dave play for anybody that is familiar. I'm, you know, a lot of this podcast is going to be from 15 years back, so yeah. folks. Don't worry, I, I, I'm I'm always going the back in my day thing. I'm, well, I'm, you're the, yeah, you're... The, I had to walk to school. That's like kind of my <laughs> kind of the token. That's my thing. You're also one one old. person who Naveen and I were like, all right, with John, we're going to do the take me back, take yeah. me back to when you started. What brought you into death metal drums? Yeah. You know, it's like I want to hear that from you. Basically, a series of bands in, in Kansas City, and you know, you just sit around. You heard of this band? You heard of this band? Or you heard of this band? You like this band? Like I got, I started, like I, my father was a jazz musician, mm-hmm. so I could have gone that way, but I didn't because I ended up hearing Iron Maiden and Judas Priest and King Diamond, and I ended up hearing Slayer, and I ended up hearing all those bands. I was just, Ooh. um, but as I, you just kind of like join the little band, slightly, you know, just. Never, you know, never did anything other than some club shows, but eventually got a call. Well, no, I sat in for this band and just did some covers at a at a bar one night. We just did a, we just like Metallica, Anthrax, and and like White Zombie covers, I think. And out of nowhere, I got a call from this guy, and this is Gene and Gene Palabiki, and he's like. I have this band called Angel Corpse, and we heard that you can play blast beats and that you're a death metal drummer. I'm like, yeah. So I like went out there that night. I went to his place that night and hung out with them. And like, what kind of caught my attention about that was their vocalist slash bass player was Pete from Order from Chaos, which was a a band in K in in, in KC. It was a name that I had heard multiple times. I'm like, oh, I've heard of those guys. And so got into Angel Corpse around '96. 95 even um that first album came out in 96 we did a couple of eps and we did the second record um and that was the second record exterminate was the make you laugh make you cry make you wish you were never born 
make you happy that you draw breath and you're alive. The world's wonderful. Oh my God, this is painful. Like death metal origin origin story. Yeah. (laughs) Because at that point in time, when we was like, yeah, we're going to, we got signed to Osmos and, and we got down to Florida to go record the second record at, at Morris sound. So we're going to record the second record at Morris sound. And I'm like, Oh shit. So we go down there and we drive all night from KC to Florida. We get down there and the first place we go, I think we went to, I think the first place we went was Antar Coates house. Antar was in, Antar already had Diabolic going at the time, but so we stopped at his place and then we're like, okay, well, where are we going to sleep? So we're, so we ended up going to Lee Harrison's house for monstrosity, you know, to double back to the tour. I can't wait to talk to him about this stuff on tour, but. We're going to go by and see Monstrosity rehearse. So we just, this is back when you would just go to your friend's band's rehearsals and yeah, just yeah. sit and watch. Oh, yeah. Love that. Mm-hmm. You remember that? I don't <laughs> love that. Yeah. I mean, I think every. Hmm? Hell yeah, I remember that. No one does that anymore. Yeah. It's not a thing. Actually, we had Drew here the other, other time. Okay, we had him here one yeah. time. So we got drunk, and then at 2 a.m., we were like, Come over, Yeah, dude. come over. But other than that, no one is ever around for our practices. I don't know if you guys do it like that, but. Well, I mean, I don't know, but <laughs> you know, it, it can't happen for us because we've already been on tour. We've already done records. We're already well into our careers. But like when like this, like shit, I don't even I wasn't even 21 yet. I might have yeah. been 19. And all of a sudden I'm watching Monstrosity rehearse. <laughs> and at that time, Kelly Conlon was playing bass for Monstrosity. And I'm like, you're Kelly Conlon. You played on Death Symbolic. And he's like, yes. And I'm like, shit. <laughs> um, and then we're like, okay, well, we're going to go sleep at George Corpse Grinder's house. I was just, shit. And so before I even got into the recording studio, I'm at Corpse Grinder's house, and all the Cannibal Corpse guys are over there. They're playing Madden. And Tony Laureano is there hanging out. Um, a couple of the guys from Monstrosity. And I'm just 19 years old. I don't know anything. And I'm surrounded by all of the current death metal royalty. And yeah. yeah. So that was the nice part. <laughs> and, what, and so, uh, how did it go recording at Morrison? What was that like? That's, uh, that seems like a bucket, bucket list. Just the worst. When you're really? 19, when you're 19, insane. So what when was bad 19, about it? Well, we were booked in studio B and, there's there, at that time there at, at that more time there was there was three rooms it was A B and C I believe there was uh the big room was A obviously the little room was B and the little little room was C and it was more of like just a little mastering studio but I get into Studio B and like like all of a sudden I hear this dude behind me goes yeah man this is why I record the Terrorizer album and I turn around and it's fucking Pete Sandoval and I'm like hi Pete. <laughs> Damn. So I'm setting up my drums, and Peace Annabelle's there. And this is where I come to realize that Morbid Angel is in Studio A mixing Formulas Fatal to the Flesh. Wow. So we're we're tracking Exterminate in B, and Morbid is in A with Tom Morris. We, we, we got Jim Morris. Morbid's got Tom Morris. And so the entire two weeks that I'm down there, it's like Morbid Angel is there. The Cannibal Corpse guys are coming in and out. Everybody that's anybody in death metal or anybody that's anybody that's cool with morbid angel is in and out of the studio to check out what the new morbid is sounding like. And this is the first time 
we saw Steve Tucker. So this is how it goes all the way back to my new band, Woo! Malefic Throne. Okay. With Gene and with Gene and Steve, this is how that band goes all the way back there. And uh, the recording was awful because I didn't know how to play that stuff, you know, in a proper studio with really good mics and an actual engineer. And the editing was, I've never seen drums edited before. And they edited my drums so they sound nice. And I was just, I was heartbroken over the thing. (laughs) Um, Uh, Is that Exterminate that you're talking about? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, I I have that album, uh, actually, on vinyl. And you can hear it because, like, because my hands were fine, but my feet were shot. I just, I just didn't know. So mm-hmm. you hear all this cool flow going on with the hands, but then the kicks are like, you know. Yeah. So that was rough. That was rough. Um, and that, I think, you know, I got back home, and then I was kind of just bummed about the damn thing. I wasn't showing up to rehearsal, and that was when they told me that Tony was going to join the band, and that was that for Angel Corpse. Okay. So there you go. And then Origin came. Not well, I like Origin way more, so it's a... Origin it's a stories from Origin I, Drummer. Honestly, I only knew about Angel Corpse because you were in the band. So I I, I went backwards. You know, I was like, oh, he was in this other band. I'm going to check it out. That's kind of... Well, I think I, a lot of people I, know about Angel Corpse because, of, because you were in the band. I... Angel Corpse was... I really dig Angel Corpse because Angel Corpse kind of came from that old... It was like a crossbreed of old Tampa death metal and like... Definitely. Evil German thrash metal. It was like a crossbreed between Possessed and Morbid Angel. Sort of. So the, the, the only thing that really bugs me about Angel Corpse these days is that I never really got to do that material justice live. Mm. And there's no plan for that to happen. Um... There's some personalities in that in that band that it, it can't happen, I guess. But um closest I can get is Malefic Throne, so I'm excited to get out and do shit with that band. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. Are you guys going to tour and play shows and do all of that? Oh, we are we are signing a record contract awesome. and we're going to record a full length. Okay. Um the the EP is out there. You can find it on you can find it on Hell's Headbangers. Mm-hmm. All right, I haven't listened um, to that yet. I need to check. Neither that out. have I. I'm excited like, to sure. listen to it. Yeah. It's uh, you know, it it sounds like what the three of us would sound like. I think. Okay. Hell yeah. So, uh, did you cool. play one of the songs when you went to Minel and you did those? You did like a bunch of Origin songs. Okay, and then you played a couple other songs. Okay, that makes sense. To the Storm of Steel was an Angel Corp song from Exterminate. <laughs> And my my friend Jeff Leifer, who is the guitarist for a band a band I did a long time a, a while back called Crater, mm-hmm. and he did all the guitars for that. And yeah, it was it, it seemed to be pretty well received. It was a lot of fun playing that because that kind of was like being able to do that era of my career justice and like actually put it out there saying this is what it was supposed to sound like. So. Okay. Yeah, and those videos are awesome as well. Those Dude, I have worn those videos out on YouTube, man. I watch them all the time. Like when when they man. first came out, I was like, I'm, I'm just so glad they oh had you. Oh my god, yeah. It's, and I even thanked Chris. I was like, thank you. Chris is the guy, the rep from Minel who puts those videos together. For those of you who don't know, but I saw like I we moved to Nashville, so I see him kind of a lot more than I used to. And I was like, dude, 
thank you so much for like having John out here because you know a lot of drum companies don't really showcase like death metal you, you know what I mean and I was just like thank you so much for doing that you know and having it, me obviously but that was like that was amazing I is like yeah so sick I'm like oh so this is what artists probably I mean endorsements aren't what they used to be anymore um you know, I think back when the music industry had a lot more money, you know, there like there was a much stronger presence for for for, for clinics, you know, at music stores mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And there was just a lot more music events and all that. You had Summer Nam and Winter Nam. You had Pasic. You still have Pasic, I think, but like a lot more music shows. Yeah, that were going on. Uh, Collective used to do, you know, used to do events and. Uh, yeah, uh, Brewer's like we, you know, and I, I, I that's how I got into those classic, cu- classic, custom dark. Okay, was Chris was like, "What is your symbol setup?" And I was just like, "Hmm, it's kind of a hodgepodge, you know, because I had a lot of different minels on the kit at the time, but they like I had MB twenty rides, and then I had like Soundcaster custom crashes, but but then I had extreme, um, like." extreme classic hi-hats and then like soundcaster custom hats over here um i'm like what do you think is a good setup that you know death metal fans will be into i kind of like the uh, classic customs dark and he goes that's a great idea and so yeah that's they provided that set of symbols for for those videos and i ended up taking them home i'm like i want these symbols and so yeah, they Got sound him. really good. Know. And then Naveen copied you. So, <laughs> Naveen didn't copy me. <laughs> but um, I've been copying you for 20 years. So Oh, shush, shush. Actually, the I first didn't... time I saw anybody do doubles on the kick was you. And and that was like later, way later on. Uh, it was like when you rejoined Origin. You guys played at like a... Sm- Actually, this is kind of a funny story. You guys played at one of those like kind of more DIY like warehouses in Oakland and uh you were setting up to play and you were like doing the doubles and I was like what the fuck's going on there like it because it sounded like you're just doing singles but the triggers are going you know and I was it was so mind-blowing and then the uh power went off what is it with the power going off in Oakland yeah (laughs) so power cut out and like uh you it was sick because you were just playing drums for like a while with no pa on because the power was out and so i was just like this is sick and i just like watched you play for a while and uh i actually got kicked out of that show yeah i got thrown out was that that really big venue in oakland and they've it was a big room right Uh, yeah they they had it's called like oakland warehouse or something yeah for a while they had like a a different venue every other week. It was really weird. There was like this place called Slaughterhouse. Then there was like, uh, I don't know what I don't, I couldn't tell you what that place was called. But uh. yeah, the um, the double strokes thing. <laughs> Boy, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you're the first guy I see. Uh, yeah, how did you learn that to just, do them? I, I mean, just, that, that technique, people love it or hate it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I feel like that's I, that's just the evolution in drums. Now that you're talking about the single 
kick yeah, it's, it, blast. It's like, okay, then, they, then people hated triggers. Yep. I don't know what they hated in the meantime. I'm not a drummer, but now they hate doubles. You love or hate doubles because it's cheating. Yep. The cheating thing. I'm actually, you know, that's my my recent goal that I'm give, that I've given myself is that my single foot blast is going to work. Damn it. <laughs> it's yeah. going to I it, I can get to about 220, you know, comfortably, but I want that Jesus. I I want that 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 upper that upper BPM like I want that George Coleus shit. Yeah. You yeah. know. I mean, yeah, I'm so not gonna. Yeah, that's that's way cooler. I'm not gonna lie, it's way cooler. It's cool. It is fucking cool. It's um, really cool. I figured out a lot of cool ways to to make the two foot thing work, you know, because I like how it, it it's symmetry, and you can do a lot of it. You can do a lot of shit with it that isn't necessarily blast oriented, but a blast adjacent, I guess. But the double strokes thing happened right before. Antithesis, I think. Yeah, I um, think so. Mm-hmm. so I think because Paul started sending me these guitar, these guitar riffs, and it was just, yeah, I had rejoined the band, and we went out on tour, and came back home, and I did another Angel Corpse record, and blah, 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 blah. and I was, I was on the Derek Roddy message board a lot. If you remember that one, I I actually do remember that one. <clears throat> I didn't really go on it and, very much. I just knew that was like the death metal hangout before there was like facebook it, and all that stuff it was man it's like you had your library card and you went to the library <laughs> and you clocked your half an hour of internet time you played on the internet and it kicked you off and you went back home and did something else yeah um, way better by the way <laughs> maybe <laughs> no no you know what my friend jim we found he brought he was come over you got to watch this video he had this this video this VHS video of this drummer named Joe Stronsick and it was called the Joe Stronsick Ballistic Double Bass Method. <laughs> uh, I gotta look that up. <laughs> I'm like, go on, let's just have it. And he's like, I'm gonna teach you how to play heel toe double strokes on the bass drum pedals. And all we would do is just drink beers and smoke a lot of weed and put on Christian records and um. But so we decided to watch this guy and he's talking about this Gibraltar pedal. I think it was called the Gibraltar in intimate, uh, some Gibraltar pedal. But what this Gibraltar pedal could do, I think it was one of the first pedals where you could adjust the foot height, foot height and the beater height independently. Um, and he goes, you can, he set it up all wacky and he started doing this and he was playing he's basically playing singles and doubles and like paradiddles none of it was that fast but like the idea and we're just laughing at it they were like what a fucking dork (laughs) (laughs) yep that's how it is those those VHS drummer tapes sure enough you know a few years later when Paul starts starts I think he had sent me Aftermath, I think it was like the first time I had, I had heard his g- guitar demo for Aftermath, which is the song that opens the Antithesis album, and I was like, God damn it! I'm like, How the fuck am I gonna keep up with that? And I had this little pedal set up in my apartment, and I accidentally—I don't even know what I was thinking—but I accidentally just went, "Bubba," yeah, and the, uh. the beater went thunk thunk. I was just like. The Joe got that ballistic thing. Yeah. And and like, I gotta go. And I'm like, my girlfriend at the time, she was like, that's stupid. 
you're going to do that VHS thing? I'm like, yeah! And I grabbed my pedals and I went to the rehearsal room. And that started a three-week a three-week run that I was there Monday through Friday for three hours just trying to get that to work. And it eventually worked. Wow. And the way bouncing, that, that, yeah, the bouncing way... that off of a couple of other guys on the Roddy message board, it just kind of went from there. Because <clears throat> mm-hmm. the way that you do it, like uh, from what I can tell, it's not really like a heel toe per se. You're not like striking it with your heel and then the ball. And that's that's how I do it too. It's kind of like a pressure thing. Yes, it's like an implied heel, or if anything, it's like you slam a your flat heel yeah. and a pop. Yeah. And but it start it started out as heel toe. So it started out as boom boom. But like uh I shouldn't be doing this guys. But <laughs> <laughs> I think you should this is because, a drummer episode. Definitely. And but my foot had to be way up in here yeah exactly yeah i do not use these pedals on stage but and so i was hitting the heel somewhere in here and the f- toes were up in the drive shaft in right. the in, in the strap and so i eventually just kind of started coming down to where i was getting this sort of like flat pop thing yep exactly it's almost like the one-handed roll for your feet well yeah that's true that's true i actually taught a guy how to do it last week and yeah uh, yeah it's kind of like you slam your heel down. That's kind of what I was telling him, you know. And he at, he learned it in one lesson. It was pretty impressive. At first, yeah, at first, you know, like a lot of these these techniques, you start with really big, wonky movements, yep. and eventually you hone that. But the problem with that technique was, is like everybody kind of took it as the slam it down, and the beater goes, uh, uh-uh. yeah. And so everybody is using this this really weird kind of like pressure sort of mush and getting this little dribble in which is why the question I get the most from people is how do I set up triggers for the double strokes? Or how do I set up pedals for the double strokes and that kind of a thing? And I'm like, practice double strokes on the pedals without like specific settings yeah yeah use use neutral pedals crank up the spring tension and go from there yeah um because the idea as far as i am concerned the idea is to develop the second stroke yeah one e and ah yeah yeah or you know and so there's a you know a handful of exercises that i teach people to get that second note to actually hit okay. rather than it just be bunk bunk yeah yeah right uh-huh so when you do it now the second hit is like more audible than it was when you first it, started yes after years and years of like you know what it, what it was is like the first cup the first tour i went out it didn't work very well it was mm-hmm. awful yeah um because i hadn't really done much with it other than just try and make a lot of fast notes happen it worked in the studio for yep. antithesis but like the first tour out with antithesis it was really bad so i had to after that i came back home and really tried to slow it down yeah. and through slowing it down and getting it down to certain bpms and just trying to emulate what sync what really good single strokes sounded like yep i was able to get that separation between those two notes to 
you know, and just get that technique so the beater can go, you know, yeah. really, really uh-huh. fast. And so, yeah, I'm getting a lot more open stroke, double, like proper open double strokes with it over the past, you know, six years or so from when I started doing it. Yeah, I think actually me and Chaney uh, went and saw Origin in L.A., like when we lived down there. And I think I talked to you for a little bit and you were, you were telling me that same thing. You were like, yeah, this is the, like you had, you said like, yeah, the first tour I did it on, it kind of sucked. And then after that, it was like pretty, pretty good. I kind of got lucky because uh, I started doing it like right at the big, like right at the beginning of 2020. And then we yeah. didn't tour obviously for like two or three, like two years. Mm-hmm. So I just practiced it at home for like two years. So when we went on our first tour, like the first sh- couple shows were a little bit shitty, but then, uh, Spencer was like, you got to use an actual Roland trigger on your kick. You got to get rid of those pedal triggers. And once I switched to the Roland, it was like just way like double bass unlocked. I'll tell you, man, I can't (laughs) get the only pedal triggers I was ever able to make work were the on triggers. Okay. Um, I've never tried those. Those are nice. Um, I broke the foot blasters. I broke the E kits. I broke the E threes or the E threes never even, I could never get the E threes to work, but you know, no, um, I am. It's like, depending on what I'm doing, I will either use the on triggers or I will use the RTK 30. Yeah. You know, use that and the TM two, And those are my bulletproof go-to setups. But like I've got a pair of demon drives that have trick laser triggers on them. Oh, okay. Those oh yeah. Are, what's what do you think of those? those? What do you think mm-hmm. of those? I know they're expensive, and you have to plug them in. Laser so. triggers, and you have to plug them in. Yeah, you need two separate <laughs> yeah, that's ten volt outlets for those things. Oh god, ridiculous. Yeah, it's crazy. I've I've tried a bunch of pedal triggers, and yeah, it's always uh, it's just not something that I mean, like compare because I was thinking like. I just suck at doubles, you know, and I'm not, I'm not like the greatest at them. I can do it for our band with the parts that I've written. But, uh, like I said, once I switched over to that, I used uh Spencer's trigger and I was just like, dude, this is like, I don't suck after all. Wow. Look at that. Um, man, what was I going to say? There was something I was going to say. Oh yeah. The, the problem I have with the pedal triggers are, is unless you're, you know, some venues you're on a flat, yeah, yeah, wooden, a flat wooden surface, and then the, and then the next day you're on a flat concrete surface, and then the next day you're on this this cheesy drum riser that's all wobbly, and um, there's that relationship between your bass drum pedal and your kick drum, yeah. and every time you hit that bass drum pedal, there's going to be a little bit of flex or no flex or a lot of flex, and if there's a lot of flex then you can forget that that pedal trigger setup that you dialed in three days ago because it's going to be completely gone. Yeah. And then you have to get on your hands and knees underneath the snare drum and adjust the thing. It's a little <laughs> bit problematic for me. I'm sure there's somebody out there that has a much better method. Trust me. Yeah, but. I don't know. People use them, but I've never... I just can't get it to work. So far, the on-triggers have been the most easy to deal with and the most... Um, I don't know. They just seem a bit beefier. Like I can get them dialed in at home to be pretty good. But yeah, like you said, once you go on the road, it's just, it's too many variables and it's cool to just plug in one trigger and not have to plug two in because I'm fucking lazy. Well, I've been experimenting with two bass drums lately. So yeah. actually I have, I was the, the last origin tour I did was on, was on two bass drums. 
So that probably yeah. works uh, better for doing the doubles, right? Like two RTK thirties mm-hmm. is probably like legit as fuck. I would imagine. Well, then you got to deal with crosstalk, you know. Yeah. So, you know, because now you got two triggers. You got one here and you got one here. Or is it here? Or is it down there? Or whichever. Yeah, yeah. And depending on where the triggers are is going to depend on how your crosstalk is going to. And then, your, of course, your crosstalk is another variable that's in with your your gain and your yeah, what yeah. your decay or whatever they, they call it on the rolling machines these days. But, um, heck talk. I know. Right. We, I usually, uh, when people ask questions like this on the podcast, which we will get into some questions, people, uh, we have a live, this is actually live on Twitch right now and people can chime in on our discord and ask questions. But when they ask are super, what are you talking about? <laughs> when they ask super nerdy drum questions, I'm usually like, Man, this is boring. Let's well, skip it. They're but, all going to be really excited about this episode yeah. because that's all it is. <laughs> I was like, if no, we're I'm having freaking John Longstreth on hey, drum man. nerd episode, yeah. no problem. Let's well, go. So what pedals do you use? What are the, what do you think are the best pedals for this method that no, you're talking go. about? I mean, I, I've played, I've used my technique on a lot of different pedals, you know, including like a pair of, uh, blue strap pearl eliminators i couldn't believe i made that work but i i snapped a heel i snapped a, a heel block at like my second hate eternal practice and you know like fuck man my fucking two thousand dollar european bass drum pedals just snapped on me and eric rattan is just like what the fuck is that all about? yeah i don't want to do <laughs> he goes well i got jade's old pedals you can use those i'm like okay and it, it worked, you know, and and my girlfriend at the time was able to ship my my old axes to me, um, and I used those. But I've used, I've done I've made it work on everything. My favorite pedals are the Pearl Demon drives, mm-hmm. and I just I like them because I haven't I've never broken them. Yeah, you yeah. know, I've worn things out on them. I've I've made the bearings go go clackety clack after a after a you know, a couple of tours and I've had a spring or two snap on me, but I've never broken those pedals. I've never broken a, a drive shaft. I've never broken any heel blocks. I've never broken anything on them. And they kind of sit nicely in between super light and fluttery, like the, like the, like the axis pedals. And then super like stompy, powerful, like almost like Iron Cobra drum workshop chain oh, yeah. drive pedals. So they got kind of a, a nice middle power band and a whole ton of adjustments. You can kind of make them do anything. Yeah, and they don't have like a lot of pedals that I've I've noticed when uh drum companies make pedals, they usually have like a bulky heel block after the pedal board. And that was kind of why I stopped using the Tama pedals. Because I started doing the doubles and I was thinking, oh, this is kind of in the way. But I don't know. In hindsight, I, I was doing the doubles pretty good just with the with the Thomas, no problem. And then I started using Axis. Well, I think what you're saying is valid about the Axis. You should be able Axis to do it. pedals yeah. are very light and fluttery. And even me, I am not very good at playing double bass. But getting on Axis pedals, I was way better than playing yeah, your Tama. I think it's a lot smoother, but I think kind of like what you're saying, you should probably be able to make it work on anything. The the other stuff's just kind of like icing on the cake. Uh, the Axis pedals, that was fun. I remember when Axis first appeared in Kansas City, and I don't know how I had like an extra 
seven hundred dollars because <laughs> I never had money as a kid. But um, but these Axis pedals came in to the shop and it's, um, in Kansas City we have this drum shop called Explorers Percussion, and he's been there forever and he's still there and he's still thriving and kicking ass and um. And da, 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 da. the Axis pedals came in. I'm like, what is that? That looks like an Erector set and all that. And he goes, this is Axis. <laughs> um, and it's like, this was before the longboard, so it still had the heel, the big, the heel platform at the back yeah, of yeah. it. Mm-hmm. But bear, ball bearings everywhere and variable drive lever and had this thing called the waggle factor, which was, you would like, boing, 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 and it would just go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I bought them, hated them, Stole them, traded them in for a pair of Iron Cobras. Jesus. And then someone said, oh, no, the Axis pedal, it's, it's upside down. You have to, it's, you know, it's it's 20% you, 70, uh, 30% you, 70% the pedal. As to where, you know, these older chain drive pedals, you were supposed to run on them like the old thrash metal drummers. They would just run on their pedals and mm-hmm. that full leg stomp brutality. And so after watching Dave Koros again, he's just like, yeah, you just have to kind of learn how to sit back a little bit and sort of like dribble almost. And mm-hmm. I was watching him play and he's getting all this beater distance and all of this speed and, and he's not he's not killing himself. So I was just like, shit. So I went back to Explorers Percussion, traded in my Iron Cobras to try and get my my de- my, my Axis pedals back. <laughs> and that's that's how my Axis thing started. And yeah. Yeah, I remember like at that time, Origin, uh, like, Informus era, it was like every death metal drummer. It was not a question. You had to you have had an to axis, have or you were just yeah. I remember you were whack. Mm-hmm. You didn't have one. Yeah, we all got that notion from from Pete Sandoval and Dave Colross because okay. those are the two guys that first like started using those pedals. Those were the guys that, and that was the funny thing because like the axis pedal was originally designed as a as a jazz pedal, like a really light easy pedal you know and and daryl just wanted it to be super smooth and kind of move on its own and all these death metal guys started coming after him and he was so funny because daryl daryl johnston the the guy that invented axis he would come out to the shows and he'd just be like well you know man this band is really neat because you guys can just stop on a dime (laughs) (laughs) about origin he goes you just start and then you just stop and it's just and he just I don't. I don't think he likes the music, but he's an engineer, so he was just. He had so much fun just looking at what we do and just geeking out on the the detail. Yeah. Like, yeah. so he just loved that. And once he was out of the company, I just kind of started to. Eh, I don't know any. You know. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually oh. just got. Uh, I sold my Axis pedal. Oh no, it got stolen when I was in Animals as Leaders, and then I was. I kind of didn't really want to use it anyway because I wanted. I was in Animals as Leaders and I was just playing more simple stuff on the kick. Like, so I I went back to using like a DW, and then yeah. uh, yeah, recently getting more back into wanting to play fast and learning the doubles and stuff. I I met the new Axis rep in LA and he's really cool. So I'm that American, of, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I met him recently. He's a nice guy. Yeah, he's really cool. So he uh, hooked your boy up. So I'm I'm, I'm uh, ripping those. I like it. I'm, I'm into it. And honestly, people say like you can actually hit really hard with Axis pedals. They he gave me a 
the lighter beaters, but then there's also, they started making like these big beaters that probably weigh as much as a 9,000 beater. And I had those on there and you can freaking hit super hard. Like those big ones you're talking about, I I believe are like a reboot of the OG axis pedal. Okay. Because the marksman beaters came out pretty quickly. There was these little guys, the kind of cone looking. That's the ones. But but the original ones were like big, like it's it's just like that. that, It's just like that. They're huge. You know, and I remember those things being really fucking heavy. Yeah, yeah, I'm not surprised. That's cool. And then they also made uh, this thing where you can have the... Because the part of the problem with Axis is, like, the left beater was so far over to the left. But they have this thing now that, like, you put on the bass drum and it resets knock. it. Yeah, yeah. And it re- it's actually really cool. So the beaters both hit in the same spot uh, in relation to the kick. And uh, it's really cool. I'm into it. I like it. Yeah, and it just kind of pops on, right? You it does. Like put your bass drum on the pedal. <laughs> yeah. No, I I I love Exodus. It's such. I mean, Chuck and Karen and Daryl were like really cool and really good to me. But I just couldn't. I kept breaking them, and yeah, I yeah. just I couldn't get the parts quickly enough. And it was just it's becoming a bit of a liability. So yeah, yeah. yeah. that's the thing. Pearl's really good to me these days. So I'm in good hands. Yeah, so you use the Pearl uh, Demon Drives. Right now? Yeah, I've been using this for a long time. I got out of there for a little bit, went, you know, tried a couple of other things, and just, again, just started shedding parts. A lot of these, a lot of these Botiki pedals are really, really awesome, and, like, the ideas are really great, but, A, a lot of those ideas aren't quite tested, and so, yeah, cool, you get, you get prototype pieces, but these prototype pieces haven't been tested, and... You know, you can't, you can't be snapping those parts. You know, they might make it through rehearsal, but then you get a, a week into the tour and something goes on. You're yeah. like, oh no. Um, and then a lot of times they can't get the parts to you fast enough because it's a small company. So yeah. it's nothing against the people behind these products and it's nothing against the products themselves. They're all really wonderful. Like all these companies, well, what do you like? You like this company? You like this company? You like this company? It doesn't matter. They're all great. It's yeah. just, if, if, if I break it, which I probably will, you yeah. know. So I'm a little limited. I mean, totally. that, that was my huge thing with like being uh, playing like a Tama or like a mainstream drum company, because they just make they make them to not break. So well, and yeah. you can you can get their parts virtually yeah. anywhere you that you are on the planet. A store. Yeah. And I that yeah. happens with all with all of the boutique guitars and basses and everything. Yeah. Any boutique instrument. If something breaks, which it seems to break more it's often break. when you get those type of instruments, yeah, it's going to break. It's hard for them to send those pieces out to you on tour when you're moving every day as quickly yeah. as you need it. So it's just like you're saying, all of that shit can be a liability. Yeah, it matters. So uh, a lot of that, a lot of that stuff makes perfect sense if you're doing. If you can, like, I can't carry. I can't. I only really have the room to carry two sets of pedals. So yeah. Um, and you know, it, it's the, it's, it's, it's an awesome kind of thing where if you have three or four months to work on an album that doesn't involve leaving or doing anything, you can just set up and you can just use these, use these boutique pieces of gear nicely in a studio setting or in a controlled setting. But a lot of times, like I snapped a floorboard of a pedal, you know, the floorboard oh, yeah, yeah. in half. Because there was a slight, 
kind of like one of these things in stage and the pedal was just sort of sitting on okay. it and I'm cranking down on it and I and like the next day I look at it and my floorboard of the pedal was a little bit bent and sure enough that was the day that it popped yeah. on Italy in Italy on stage oh, yeah. with Hated Journal. Oh my god. You can't get anything in Italy. Forget about that. Dude, Everywhere's closed. George Coleus like tossed me one of his backup his backup axis pedal. So I had I had his axis pedal on my right and I had my other pedal on my left. Playing with two separate pedals. It was a little strange. But the next day in Rome actually there was some guy at the venue that just had this piece of steel that just zip 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 and it held for the rest of the tour. Oh there you wow. go. That was actually that was actually Scott Walker, the original drummer of Vitriol, that was able to fix that pedal. Oh, so. that's awesome. Shout out, Scott. Saving yeah, drummers' hey, lives. Scott. So how did the Hate Eternal thing come about? Man, Origin tour. Da, 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 da. Origin was on tour with Vader way back in 2001, I think. And somehow we ended up at Eric Rattan's old studio that he had it was like the first incarnation of Mana, I believe. Not only it, it wasn't Mana yet, but he had his own studio and he had it in a storage unit, and it was fascinating. He had built walls up in this storage unit. And he had this little control room and this little one room and all that. And and I remember meeting him and hanging out and listening to like the the, the early the rough mixes of King of All Kings. Shit. <laughs> Derek who? What? And oh, the guy from the Malevolent Creation record. That uh, that guy? Cool. <laughs> um, and we ended up getting out on tour with Hate Eternal in 2002. So that tour was like the first, the, the, the tour that Origin was just like, really got to understand what, what Big Boy Death Metal was. Yeah. And it was Origin, Hate Eternal, Nile, and Arch Enemy. Damn. And Arch Enemy had, it was the first Arch Enemy tour with Angela singing. And so it was huge. Um, so yeah, every every night hung out with Derek Roddy and Eric and just got to be friends with those guys. And Eric and I stayed in touch over the years. You know, we, Origin and Hate Eternal toured again in 2011, 12 maybe with Vital Remains and just, it kept coming and just like he he called me right before right before Chasen joined and we were talking about it for a minute but I think I had something going on so Chasen got in there and was out of there Hannes got in there and Hannes got some got caught up in something else he got another gig or something like that and so Eric called me and goes let's finally go and I'm like yes let's finally go <laughs> and there you go. And I've then done two or two so far. So you're yeah. currently playing with Hate Eternal then? Yes. I okay. Or so. I will be. Yeah. Okay. Eric's got his plate full right now with Cannibal Corpse. Right. Yeah. As one as one would. So, you know, when it's ready. That's when, awesome. When it's time. When it's time, I'm there. I look forward to the day that we get to see you with Hate Eternal. I know. That's going to be. They, I mean, Hate Eternal rules. It's, it's an honor, man. I get to, you know, I, I get to work with one of the greats. Yeah. You know? Man, that that guy that guy was like got there right before domination was released wrote half a domination was part of morbid angel at their height which is my and favorite morbid angel record 
domination. Dude, every time I go to every time I go to his studio, his um, he's got that Gibson Explorer. If you if if you open the inlay for domination, he's playing a Gibson Explorer with a with a with a with a Floyd. This is when like Morbid Angel was a Gibson band. Like Trey had a Flying V, and Eric had the Explorer, and that Explorer is just hanging on his wall. I'll just sit underneath the Explorer. <laughs> Tell me the story. Right. But, uh, if that Explorer could talk, that's awesome. If it can, it roars. But, True um, that. Yeah, no. that's amazing. Um, incredible that you're playing with them. But I. So, how did you end up rejoining Origin? Yeah, I missed them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's such a good fit when you when you weren't in the band. I was like, what, "How how's that?" I yeah. Think, yeah. Like, Granted, really? James. Well, James is a good drummer. Yeah, yeah. Like we saw James with Unmerciful a few years ago. He's a sick drummer. Yeah. I mean, and he did all that in just. I okay, I remember when when they were searching for a new drummer and I, I called Paul on it. I'm like, what the fuck, man? He goes, you're not here. What the fuck? What am I going to do? And I'm like, fuck you. I'm out or something like that. And, um, <laughs> so as it goes, as it goes, you know, and after a while, uh, James Lee at the time, he goes, I guess we're hiring James King. And I thought that was awesome. When I first heard they're going to hire James King, I thought it was really cool because James King was a guitar player first. Yeah. And he was, he, I think he was the original guitarist of Unmerciful, actually. I think him and Clinton so. were playing guitar together, and he played an SG. Anyway, and he started playing drums, and I remember him just kind of like, wait a minute, you're bomb blasting now at 220? Yeah, he just went <laughs> okay. straight to death metal drums. He, he totally did. So when I heard that he was joining the band, I was like, oh, that's fucking cool. You get a guy in your town, and he's a guitar player, so maybe he can help write. Um, I guess it didn't go that way, but... I went up to upstate New York to sit in with Skinless, which was eventually turned into joining Skinless for a year. Um, then I was out of Skinless, and then I filled in for Exhumed, then the Red Cord, then yeah. Dying Fetus. Um, and it was on that Dying Fetus tour. It was a two-month-long tour opening for Guar. And okay. we ended up we ended up stopping into Guitar Center in San Francisco and getting some shit from Paul. And I just remember after we got off stage, Paul comes up to me and he goes, I like it, man. It's Dying Fetus, but I like those little parts you're putting in there. Man, sounds like you. It's cool. <laughs> and I got off of that tour, got home, and recorded the, the Dimmock record. And then Paul called me and he goes, James and Clinton quit. What are you doing? And I was like, Let's talk. <laughs> and that's basically it, you know. And we, you know, shot some phone calls back and forth over the course of a month and and then got us a tour and started working again. Yeah. I mean, like Naveen said, to me, your name is like syn synonymous with Origin. Yeah. You can't. It's your you are the drummer of Origin. So it's that's the band. home. That's the home band. That's the band that, you know. Those guys can get really pissed off at me <laughs> and vice versa. But, you know, as far as I know, nobody's calling for anybody's head in that band. It's not like this guy fucked up and he's fired. It's not the case. It's like, God damn it. He did that. Why did he do that? Uh, whatever. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so it's definitely 
it's definitely four brothers, brother. Yeah. And, you know, like, we're, we nag at each other. You know what was interesting is that this, this last tour we did, this U.S. tour, we, we was like, it was two tours back to back. One of them was with um, Misery Index, and the other tour was with uh, Tombs and Abysmal Dawn and, and Kiliterus. And they were smushed together. So it was like seven weeks out on the road, like chasing around. Like Hypocrisy was out, Cavalier Conspiracy was out, and somebody else was out. And I think it was, we it were just out sucked. at that time. Uh, I believe yeah, like, yeah, we saw like, flyers for your guys' shows and stuff. Every venue we went to, we were we were told the story of, yeah, man, this is like death metal show number 15. And then like <laughs> 30 people would show up. Oh, so, so like the turnouts were like three quarters of that tour was pretty rough. But the band got along great. Nobody dug at each other. Everybody kind of knew what was going on and just had to get through the damn thing. So... Yeah, that's the thing. That's that, the origin thing. That's what matters, yeah. man. I mean, it's really easy to get along and be really chummy with each other when the tours are going super well yeah. and everyone's getting paid and you know like there's going to be a fat crowd every night. But the real things that you have to deal with as a band are playing shows like that and getting through stuff like that. And if you can make it through those shows and still have the brotherhood thing going on, then that's that's when you know it's good. You're doing it right. It's really about getting out of each other's way, man. Tell I me. mean, the thing about being on tour is is you probably had three hours of sleep. Yep. You probably drove six hours. You probably ate McDonald's. You probably <laughs> had three cups of shitty gas station coffee. And you probably didn't have enough water. And you missed your girlfriend. You missed your wife. Mm -hmm. or, you know, And you, you miss home and all that stuff. And those, all of those things, you know same shit the next guy's dealing with so you really gotta mind yourself i mean if you're gonna freak the fuck out go to the bathroom and stick your head in the toilet <laughs> and scream or something like that go outside go for a run but get away from the other guy that's hemorrhaging the same bullshit you know yeah, yeah. there's so many times that i've snapped on those guys just because of nothing that they had anything to do with yeah and then i gotta come back around and say i'm sorry mike and he's like that's cool you know <laughs> And it's just like that, and but the but it's not cool. I mean, yeah. it's cool because he understands why. Right. But it's you know how many fucking times are you gonna snap on these people in you know a twenty year relationship? Eventually, you learn just get the fuck away and not shit on their already shitty parade. One hundred percent. Dealing with the other, dealing with the other twenty three hours, you know. Absolutely. Do you, do you see yourself touring for a long time to come? I hope so. I mean, it, it's 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 why I like preach posture and it's why i like making it's why i like honing my technique to the point where it doesn't hurt my body so much as i want to be able to do this because i'm not going to go to school and get a degree in something and get a like a real real job i'm hoping that that like yeah i'll get to tour and i'll get to teach and i'll get to you know just keep playing whether or not i'm you know blasting origin origin beats in 20 years, you know, but <laughs> that'd be awesome. I'll be there. I know. I'll be there too. <laughs> we will both be there years standing right behind <laughs> the drum kit. If Halford can do it at that level and he lived the life he lived, then I can do it at that level considering the life that I've lived. I think you can do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I know you can do it. 
I know you can do it. But, but speaking of school, you have been, you started teaching at a school, right? Yeah. Um, in 2017, I was able to leave the food industry. It was fantastic. A uh, round of applause for that. That's yeah, right. Good job. Um, no, I got got a couple of friends over there. Tony Maggiolino, he's the the assistant director. And then Jason Gianni was one of our teachers. And I knew Jason, and Jason like brought me into the school to look around one day, and Tony recognized me for you know who I was and who I knew. And eventually, Tony called me, and he goes, do you want a job? And I started working at it's the Collective School of Music, mm-hmm. um, known as the Drummer's Collective. And it's, it, was, it had been there since 83. It had been in existence since 78, I think. Oh, wow. um, and it had been in its location since 83. And it's this independent drum college, you know, and you have, you know, guys like Chris Coleman and Vinny Kaliuta would go in there. Um, Bill Burr, the comedian, used to study drums okay. there. Oh, wow. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, he's a drummer. Uh, and just all these characters. I learned about the place from, I initially learned about it from Mike Heller, who was the, at the time of the drummer of Malignancy. He's now gone on to do Fear Factory and Raven, and he's still doing he's still doing Malignancy, but he goes, yeah, it's this, it's, 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 a hardcore, it's the hardcore drum school in the middle of Manhattan and all that shit, and I was like, that sounds cool. <laughs> and eventually ended up working there as a, as a studio technician. I was setting up and breaking down lesson studios, um, you know, making sure teachers got their lesson sheets and all that stuff, and then scrubbing the toilets. Um, and bit by bit started picking up lessons, just doing uh, privates and mostly hand technique, you know. Um, and since then, the school has moved down to the tip of Manhattan, and like these bags under my eyes is because I'm working a day job at a restaurant and then going over to the collective and, and doing, you know, two or three hours worth of hand technique, you know, okay. lessons. Oh, so. Wow. So uh, is that where you uh, where you practice? Because okay, so you have a rehearsal spot. I have a rehearsal studio that I I share with with three other guys, um, which is actually about ten minutes from here. I'm in I'm in uh, I'm in Park Slope. Okay. And about ten minutes that direction is Gowanus. Um, it's like one of the most filthy bodies of water in the country, the Gowanus Canal. And, you know, so right there on, on, on the water, yeah, I've got a, a studio. And um, you might know this guy, James Norrell. I don't know. Not, not top of my head. He, he, actually, he actually got me in there. I met him when he was playing in the Faceless for a bit. But Okay. Oh, oh, yeah. James, yeah. It's with a K. Sorry. His name is spelled <laughs> yeah. K. And, yeah, he, you've seen videos of him yeah, for sure. I know who he's that a is. good drummer. Yeah, I know who that is. Yeah. Sure. Oh, he's great. He's, yeah. he's funny. As well. I just saw him today, actually. But he, So he shares it with you? Is that right? He doesn't doesn't share the room, but he is in a room there. Okay. And he's the guy that got me in there. Um But yeah, I've that's the second studio I've had since being in New York. I used to be in Queens and it was in a basement studio that would flood. Nice. And that's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> hey, well you're living that big city life, man. Comes with the yeah, territory. I know. Do you like it compared to upstate <laughs> New York and, and KC? Yes and no. I mean I really do like it. I like that, like, after this podcast, I'm going to walk three minutes to get empanadas because I don't have to lose weight. But... 
COVID plus 19. <laughs> yeah, so I can walk right over there. I can get empanadas. I can walk uh, not even five minutes that way, and there's this little uh, little jazz and blues wine bar that I'll go hang out at and sit in from time to time. Oh, awesome. Studio is studio's right down there. I'm a 20-minute subway ride from work, and it's just it's definitely something that I think most people should experience. You should... You should work in the food industry for a bit. Um, you should live in a big city. Mm. Mm. You should join a, a death metal band yeah, and tour, tour in a van. Yeah, <laughs> you should get into a group of people and create art. There we go. <laughs> Bingo. I agree. And in the words of Henry Rollins, find the guy that you hate the most in the band and write music with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's me and Naveen. So oh. I guess I guess you're the one I hate the most in the band. Wah, wah, wah. But I, yeah, and I mean, so I was listening today to Chaosmos. I'm pronouncing that right, right? Okay, good. God, that oh, record Chaos. fucking rules, man. You guys are still. It's amazing that a band who has been one of my favorite bands for so long is still pumping out such good material. I'm glad you like that record. I, I really that like it. Was- that was a hard record for everybody um, because I think everybody was just coming out of the pandemic. Everybody, everybody lost family members during the pandemic. Oh, really? Uh, um, yeah. Mike lost his dad. Paul lost his dad. I lost my sister. Um, I don't know if Jason, but like we all, like everybody had that nasty dark shit in the middle of the pandemic, right? Like, like the pandemic started off with like not having to work and and here's your here's your your, your check and watch Tiger King and eat ice cream <laughs> and then it kind of carried on for a while. It's like it's, yeah. it's not funny. It's not funny anymore. Yeah, right. And you know it got bad. Like my pandemic started off pretty interesting because I was working on a, a a pad kit in my apartment and just coming up with all different kinds of things. I'm creating and creating. This is cool. And started the Malefic Throne thing and this is cool, but then it just kept going and and then I went through a breakup and then other shit went down and then it's like down. You know, I know Paul and Mike both had real, real dark, dark pockets during the pandemic too. And so when we got together to write music, we we're all just like, uh, how do you talk to each other anymore? Because we were different people than we were when we stopped touring. And so that record came together, and it's a strange record for me. I still don't know. I mean, I love a lot of things on it, but other parts of it, I'm like, man, that's a different thought process happening right there. Yeah. So, Don't you feel like that's... Sorry to interrupt you, but don't you feel like that's naturally something that kind of happens with every record? Yeah, um, absolutely. And I did, I did a project with with a, a, a New York band here called Neurectomy, which is finally going to see the light of day. And that album took like two years to record. Um, the Gorguts album, Colored Sands, took like a year and a half, I think. And that doesn't feel right to me. As far, I mean, it works for some people, but for like. Origin, everything is, like, it should be a snapshot. Like, Origin has to get, like, we do our albums within weeks. Like, we have a very short amount of, like, 
like straight up, like Paul starts sending out riffs. I start like listening to riffs and writing things down on paper. And then we get together and we like, we hammered this record out in a week. I think Uh, you're you're talking about from demo to finished a week, about a week and a half of rehearsal. Jesus. And then we went in the studio and I, and I did the drums in five days. And so, yeah, it's just like origin kind of, bobs along and then like i can tell when it's gonna go because paul starts saying things like i don't know man this is a little different sounding i don't know man <laughs> and then i always respond with that's what you say when you write your best shit you know he's like it's a little different it's it's still origin but it's a little different <laughs> and then the riffs start coming and then i have to then i know that it's like okay here comes the first demo we are now approximately three months away from going in the studio. Four months away. Or six months, but... Um, and that's kind of what happened here. And we got in, like... I had, like, a bunch of demo stuff from Paul. We flew to Kansas, and we started, like, retrofitting it to a click track and, like, practicing to it and all that stuff. And then we went into the, the studio, and, you know, it's like Chinese food. It's cooked really fast, and it's served hot and fresh, and it's delicious. <laughs> All right, I like it. And then you play it for the rest of your life. Not like <laughs> <I> Chinese food. <laughs> Chinese food what doesn't was... keep you full very long. No. <laughs> <laughs> what I was trying to say was is like yeah, if 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 you can do your if you can do your music quick and and you can all be like in a, a sense of fervor while doing it, like mm-hmm. I like to be pissed off and freaked the fuck out yeah me too and i like i like going through all these whacked out emotions i like being not who i am right now because right now i'm at home i got my job i got my lady i got my apartment everything's cool um but like when i leave and i go to kansas and i sit in that part of kansas and i click into that mode that's a different personality and it's not something that i would want to have to do for very long but it's click and there's the album and that mm-hmm. is a that's a that's a picture of where everybody was in that mindset at that moment yeah so it's a it. dark record that's good for death metal the last album was happy because <laughs> we got in there and it was really fucking easy and for some crazy reason it just clicked together and all that stuff and i only i only freaked out once um <laughs> <laughs> What'd you freak out about? Yeah, what was it? Yeah. <laughs> we had this, we have this song called Variance Under Transformation. It's one of the songs I did on the Minel video. It's mm-hmm. the slow oh, one. Dude, that's, and that, that was my favorite one, dude. That was one. so sick. It was the, the demo, you know how you got these cute little names for demos. Um, the demo was originally called The Paul That Should Not Be. Because <laughs> it, sound, it reminded me so much of The Thing That Should Not Be. And that is one of my favorite origin songs, too. But... For some whack reason, I could not get the snare. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One, two, three, four, five. I couldn't get the snare on that five because I counted as an eight, I think. And for some crazy reason, I could not land the snare. I could not get, I couldn't sit in the groove right. And eventually, I think Paul went to the drum kit and like hummed the riff and hit the snare and something clicked. And I was able to like get in there and, and make it work. So that song was really kind of difficult in the studio, and that one was it gave me some trouble. But okay. once once it worked, 
yeah, I think I was seeing it like upside down or backwards. So yeah, you were just it, the the uh, freak out was just about a part, nothing. That, yeah, that I could not that get that first. I could not get that groove. I didn't, and I, I don't know. I don't think Paul and I necessarily communicated right on it. I think, I think I was thought I was playing it right, and he's like, "No, it goes here," and then I was mad. Yeah. <laughs> so eventually, it we you know we eventually talked it out, and it and and eventually I got it, and it ended up being you know just as cool as I thought it was. It's not like, no, you're squashing my creativity and the song's gonna suck it was just yeah, like yeah. one little thing that needed to be clicked over and it ended up being a killer song yeah dude that song is so good and the minor video for it it just fucking rips which so if, hard. if anyone listening has not seen those minor videos please go and watch them because Legendary. it's it, it it's such a good capture of your your drumming yeah it's such a fantastic all of those minor videos are done fantastically but all obviously i'm a sucker for the death metal videos yeah. And your videos just fucking killed. I'm so glad that they happened. Thank you. That's nice. I, don't, um, I mean, that recording studio was where "Proud to Be an American," where I think I, where I, at least I know I'm free, was recorded. Nice. Um, and they like as soon as I got in there, the guy's like, "You know who so and so is?" I'm like, "No." He's like, "He's a country western star." I'm like, "Well, that would explain it." I don't know. But he goes, yeah, he sang the song Proud to be an American. I'm like, oh, sure. He goes, he sang it right there. And so you're like, all right, oh, yeah, we'll check this out. (laughs) No, I just walked over there and stood in the area and took a big whiff and like being a smart ass. Okay. Getting smacked one of these days. But um, yeah, that was, like I said, that was fun. That guy, that engineer, he had a snare drum. It was the. It was the Lars Ulrich snare drum, and he had it sitting in a corner upside down. And I was like, "What are you doing with that Lars snare?" And he goes, "That's my sympathetic resonance snare." I'm like, "What?" And he goes, "Yeah, if I'm not get, if I want to get more sympathetic resonance off of the drums in the room, I'll go adjust the snares on it." And oh. and, he, and 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 Mike, so he mics an upside down snare for whenever he hits, for whenever the dude hits the toms. Oh, that's a good idea. He wants to be able to blend in sympathetic snare resonance. That's a good idea. Was it Steve? Not sure. Okay. That's really fascinating, though. I want to hear it now. Dude, that's awesome. Um, How long have we been going for? Uh, An hour and a half. Really? (laughs) Oh, Oh my God. We haven't taken any questions. Yeah. John, are you cool with us taking some questions? Absolutely. I feel like this is like Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan level podcasting where we're just talking sure. about whatnot. Yeah, we're talking exactly. about games. <laughs> well, at least we're not taking you back to MMA like every uh, Joe Rogan does. Hey, listen, CTE. We could talk about the Liver King, but <laughs> you did. I did. I caught a guy in a north-south choke, and I was able to get the the Naga bronze medal. Oh yeah. Oh, wait, you actually do jujitsu, right? I I did. I haven't trained since the beginning of the pandemic, okay. which is sad. But yeah. well, so Naveen was doing jujitsu as well, and I was like, "Dude, you have to be careful," because he was coming home hurt every yeah, night, I got and I was just like, "We're not injured. going to be able yeah. to play music anymore because of your." I actually hurt my session. shoulder so bad where I was like, "That's it! I don't like I can't play drums anymore. It's not gonna happen." And I couldn't play drums for like a couple weeks, and that's when I, I was like, to my, "I switched to Muay Thai eventually." Yeah, you know, I, I I needed I needed more sweat. I was. My jiu-jitsu was going pretty good, but yeah, like you, I, I, yeah, something up here got, it sounded like a zipper. Yeah, and I was, it's... Oh, boy. Um, and my right ankle got, like, brutally dislocated, and 
and like immediately sat back. It was like pop, pop. I was like fuck, and couldn't Jesus. walk for yeah. a week. Yeah, that's going so to I, happen. I went over to Muay Thai, and you know, I don't like when 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 I was doing Muay Thai, I was not doing any sparring. I was just doing the punching and kicking on the bags and working with a partner with you know just yeah. just mm-hmm. getting the right, right, right in and man, oh, so. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. sparring looked pretty. Looks pretty gnarly. Do you know Kareem? Uh, indie merch. He was Black Dahlia's merch guy. He he does night shift now. Well, we were on tour with Black Dahlia, and Kareem was selling merch for them. And he was training Muay Thai, and he would spar with a guy like before shows, and it just looked so fucking gnarly. Mike Hill from Tombs. He's a Muay Thai guy too. Oh wow! Uh, you know, and. I ha- like I said, I have not trained in a while. A lot of it has to do with just not wanting to be, you know, like not having been in the around other people. Nonetheless, you know, weird people that were just kind of weird <laughs> at first. But now that we've been through the pandemic and a lot of the weird political shit that went down, now these kind of weird people are actually like full blast Nazi sympathizers and like crazy people that I just don't want anything to do with. There's a lot of weird shit in the fight community that is tough. Mm. This did not, this never happened in the Muay Thai, in the Muay Thai gyms or the boxing gyms either. Interesting. But, but a lot, a lot of times in the jujitsu school, it was just like, Hey, did you listen to Rogan? I don't know. That guy's all right. That guy he was talking to. I'm like, I don't know about that. <laughs> you know. Did you do boxing too? I did for a bit. I had, I was, that was what I was doing during the pandemic. I was, you know, I, I met, I, I found this guy and we were going out to Astoria park out in the park, you know, and just doing, okay. Just, uh, just one-on-one training. Drills with and stuff. That's cool. It was nice. Yeah. Drills. It was really nice. So you're not doing anything. You're not training in anything right now. Can't you tell? Just training, <laughs> <laughs> training in post podcast empanadas. No, <laughs> can't wait. Um, no, I'm just, playing drums as much possible yeah That's honestly not- man I, i'm the same like i did the jujitsu thing for a little while but at a certain point I, I there's only so much time in the day you know and i'd rather just kind of You're focus right. on music and like just do yoga or something in the morning and whatever it's all good i'm not going to be this fighter guy anyway who cares i'm not tough me neither um yeah. <laughs> but no i would probably go back to muay thai or a boxing gym if there was one nearby and I think the closest boxing gym to me is in Manhattan. That's got to be, I think it's about 20-minute subway ride. So maybe, maybe soon. I don't know. See what happens. But uh, All right, let's shit, I some... can't believe we've been talking for an hour and a half. I would have thought 45 minutes. I'm sure we'll trail minutes, off on some other like tangents, too. You want to hit us with some questions, Harrison? Sure. Uh, I mean, you guys did ask. Oh, oh. shit. Let's get the minor... Oh, you started playing those minor sticks? Wait, they have sticks now? Yeah. I mean, what's up with that? They're sick. Are they? They're sick. I'll anyway. ask them to give me some. Try them out. Uh, I'm just going to keep interrupting you guys every time you bring up questions. <laughs> we do that to him all the time, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> you guys Sorry. did ask most of the questions already. Perfect. Uh, okay. But one of them was uh, from Not a Drunk. Uh, is it common to break pedals that often, or does it just happen because John is a fucking monster behind the kit? He wears boots when he plays, like Pete Sandoval. So that's why you wear Doc everything. Martens when you play. No, I wear cinder blocks uh, tied to my feet with uh, <laughs> with bent rebar. God, Actually, yeah. I wear I, I, I wear a, a a pair of really dainty Sacconis these days. Um, oh, I saw you post a picture of these. You're wearing those like those uh toe. Oh, 
the Mandals. Yeah. Oh yeah, man, the Mandals. Remember that? Okay. Yeah, I was feeling a bit, bit extra uh, emotional that day. So <laughs> we just call it extra. <laughs> um. Okay. Now I will get around. No, you're not supposed to break bass drum pedals like that. And I don't know why I do, because I don't <clears throat> think I'm necessarily doing anything terribly hard to them. I don't stomp on them nearly as much as I used to. I think by circumstance, I was testing out, so by circumstance, you know, it was kind of messed up, but I was testing out a pair of heel risers for, for a company. And they, they somehow, we, you know, it's going to expose the next weakest part. So the way they bolted to the plate made that weak and it toppled and it snapped. Um, and like I said, the other time was because I set up on on a stage that had a bit of a, a bend to it, and I think that bent the plate, and that caused metal fatigue, and it eventually snapped. Um, springs? Well, I mean, multiple nights at, at 260 and above will eventually just cause a spring to snap, so you just gotta keep extra springs with you. Um, but the shoes, you know, get back to jujitsu for a split second. So you can. So I, I had a massive ringworm on my arm once from jujitsu. Yep, I think I um, had that too, actually. Yep. Yeah. And one of the guys, dude, put some bleach on it. I'm like, Jesus yeah, sure, why not? Oh Splat <laughs> and killed the ringworm, but whatever. Yeah. But I also, um, somewhere between jiu-jitsu and a bad truck stop shower i developed the toe fungus oh no and the shit started turning yellow and getting thick and all fucked up and in between your toes started to hurt in the nail you know you can look this shit you you, i'm you know and i'm like and i you know last tour i was on i had a pair of adidas shell toes and I'm like, why the f- this shit fucking hurts? What the fuck's going on? And eventually I got back to the doctor, and the doctor's like, yeah, you got to go to a podiatrist. And can't believe I'm telling. This is the first time I've ever told this story, by the way. <laughs> um, so I went to the, podi- the podiatrist, and I was nervous at the podiatrist. And he's just like, okay. And he looks at, looks at my feet, and he goes, yeah, I can fix that. Um, this is what we got to do. And so we went through the treatments and all that stuff. It's cleared up. I never thought I'd be able to walk around outside with sandals on or some shit like that. Whoa. But uh, it's so cool that I was that was able to get fixed. So he recommended things like wear bamboo socks. So I bought a bunch of bamboo socks. They're really fucking comfy. Mm. And he's like... Um, I'm buying some. They, they breathe well. Bamboo, bamboo time, comforter yeah. as well. Every time you get off the stage... You want to um, spray out your drum shoes with Lysol because your drum shoes are probably going to go into a bag, into a road case, and they're not going to be able to dry out properly. So, all right, I'm going to have a can of Lysol for my drum shoes. Um, wear flip-flops in the shower and yep. all these kind of things. Just It's just, it wasn't really a dirty thing. It's just like I, I missed some something somewhere in the chain. And ended up with that fucked up shit and got rid of it, luckily. But like I said, it was somewhere between a funky mat at a jiu-jitsu gym or a gross-ass flying J shower somewhere. All the above. 
all the above. And all so the, the Mandals, what that was about is that was just about breathability. Um, I used to wear Merrells because I liked the arch. And, you know, I think I've already ditched those Mandals, though, because they don't quite feel right. Yeah, so. I was wondering about that. I'm thinking of the hiking boots, the Merrells. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, but they have these <coughs> things called uh, the Chameleon. It's their shoe. And they're a little too warm. So my goal there was to, to, to eliminate as much moisture in the shoe as possible. But I think with bamboo socks <laughs> and spraying That's out the, the shoes secret. with Lysol every night, you know. There you go. Take Lysol on tour, people. I, I, wear, I wear these <laughs> I uh, for drumming now. They're like these. They're basically like a sock, but with like a little bendy sole. It's kind of like wearing no shoes at all. That looks pretty cool. But yeah, th those are pretty sweet for drumming. Because uh, I find that with the doubles, it's hard for me to do it in a sole. Like if the sole is not super flexible. Have you found that at all? Or I always thought it was incredible that you did it in those hiking boots. Well, I used to, and then I kind of got out of it because that's like a hundred and thirty dollar pair of shoes, and you know, and basically what what eventually started happening was I would just have a pair of sneakers that I would just eventually just use for drumming shoes. It was never, I never really paid too much attention with how, you know, how the structure of the shoe interacted with the pedal, but it was just so I had a pair of shoes for my pedals, so I wasn't walking through the streets of wherever and then getting on the fucking drum kit and getting New York City, you know, rat guts on my pedals or whatnot. <laughs> and idea. at the same time, not playing show in the same shoes and then just staying in those shoes all the fucking time. Yeah, that's disgusting. But I do it, so. <laughs> I just learned a lesson, though, through this podcast. Uh, not do that. <laughs> she does it with Doc Martens. Yeah, I do too, it with Doc Martens. Ooh, that's like kind of leather too right yeah yeah uh yeah i have the vegan ones but it's still you know some weird material that i should not be wearing all the time i try i wear sandals as much as possible you do that on tour the ratio yeah that's what we call it you gotta get that ratio going the ratio going man all right harrison any other uh yeah we got another one uh a new level of asks what's your favorite origin song man you know it that kind of that kind of changes as time goes on. Right about now, I think my favorite origin song is either All Things Dead, and it was definitely my favorite origin song when I did it on the, the Minel video. It kills, man. It kills. Um, and For Never. And For Never is a song from Entity, and... It was almost—it's—it's it's almost kind of like a companion song to Saligia. Almost, it's got a very similar start-stop part in it, and that's just one that we never got around to playing live. It's a super dense song, and it's really fucking cool. And then I would also have to say "You Fail," which is like the first black metal song we did that was just kind of forgotten, you know. So a lot of those, a lot of those forgotten songs are the ones that I really like the most because. You know, as you go on as a band, you just kind of you, you play a lot of the same songs. You know, I love Saligia, of course. Um, I love Saligia and I love Aftermath, but both of those songs are such a pain in the ass because they always land either A, later in the set, or B, on the back end of like a four song block. 
So yeah, right now I'm going to say either All Things Dead or or For Never. Not Portal? <laughs> no, not Portal, but <laughs> Portal's got a kind of a cool story to it. Um, Dude, when Portal came out, it was like... Actually, I kind of wanted to say this, and that this is because uh, you were... A long time ago, you were talking about uh, how the first Origin album isn't really that fast. And then, dude, when Informus came out, it was like everything changed. Yeah. Because it was so fucking fast in comparison to anything else that was out. And, like, it was like, it was just like we've arrived, like, this next wave of, of like, super tech death metal. Oh, yeah. Uh, I feel like that album like started all that all, all like all these bands that are like you know rings of saturn and like uh arch spire arch spire and yeah. all those kinds of bands i think it was all after informus informus yeah i agree with that i think it it <clears throat> started for the tech death metal scene that is kind of the uh subject zero i think so thank you thank you very much we were we were kind of chasing we were sort of chasing Cryptopsy, and and I was I was chasing you know Formulas Fatal to the Flesh at that time, and we were just trying to. I mean, it's funny how that went because none of that material was written at that tempo. Um, I mean, it it was fast, but it wasn't. I don't remember it being. I remember getting into the studio and like having a massive headache, and my friend goes, oh, "I've got some Excedrin." Um, but be careful, it's got caffeine in it. <laughs> oh so I think God. I think I took four of those. You're like, let's do the hit record. <laughs> and we started tracking shit, and I was just warming up, and all of a sudden I was really fucking excited. <laughs> I was like, let's go! Ah! And he pressed record, and, and, and everybody was, what happened? I go, is that too fast? And during the playbacks, I remember like Jeremy being like, "That's pretty fucking cool." Like, can you keep doing that or something like that? It's, <laughs> wow. it's, it's fog. It's foggy, but I remember like, yeah. So I I was basically methed out. <laughs> wow. So we can trace um the current tech death scene all back to John four taking Excedrin or Excedrin yeah. <laughs> taking four Excedrin migraines. And- <laughs> Not having yet developed a daily coffee habit because I was still young enough to where I didn't drink coffee all the time. Well, but well. that was—I remember that, and you know, I also remember us just having a difficult time rehearsing that material because it was in the winter time, and we were in a recording. We were in a, we were in a room that had no air conditioning, and so Kansas City gets equally as cold as it does here in New York. And it's equally as fucked up, you know. It gets yeah. we get a lot more freezing rain and sleet that just glues to the road. But we were at one point we were rehearsing with electric space heaters, and then at another point in time, I was able to rent a uh, a propane space heater. It was like this big jet engine just sitting in the room, yeah. staring <laughs> at you with this big red eye of Sauron, just like blowing heat at us. And we were all getting headaches and feeling really funny because we were didn't have enough oxygen, just inhaling carbon monoxide while writing the Informus stuff. And Portal came about as one of the guys did not like it. One of the guys did not like it, and 
And so Paul and I kept like working on it. We just we didn't know what we were gonna do with it. We just had these parts and we put it to, we were kinda of putting it together and eventually we put it together and we played it in front of the guy that didn't like it and he just kinda of had this look on his face and then he left. And then he came back the next couple of days later and he's like, Alright, um, so let's let's look at this this song idea then and that's kinda of how it went. Um <clears throat> So yeah, Portal almost didn't happen. Wow. That would have been uh, sad for the world. No one would have ever known, actually. I hate this camera. <laughs> yeah, no, that was, uh, like I said, I mean, it was just, when Portal came out, I was just like, all right, man, that's that's it. Like, what else can I do? Well, do you feel like that? Do you hear, oh, do you hear what we hear, the origin exists in the current scene? Like, the more, the more modern bands take you guys as a huge influence? Um, I I I'm I'm familiar with it because I'm I'm told mm-hmm. that yeah, and it's it's the same fucking story. We never went out to record, you know, benchmark seminal album. We yeah. never. Yeah, you know, right. just, we just went out to record to do what we could do, and it just happened that when we were in the studio, it just it 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 teed off pretty well, and. You know, the next step was getting back to getting back home and practicing for the next tour and like, oh, now we got to play these songs fast. And then we played them even faster. But I don't know. No, I mean, I think I I think I lost the question. I was just wondering if you hear your band in in the current scene, do you hear the influence? Yes, here and there. Here and there, I hear it. I hear a lot of the arpeggio sweep stuff. I see I mean, the one-handed yeah. rolls. I see mm-hmm. the double strokes on the kicks. Um, yep. A lot of, you know, like the the vocal attack that is in the earlier origin material. Man, what, am I have I been out of focus the entire damn time? Uh, I don't think so. I think it's all right. Yeah, we're staring Terrible at you. Terrible Okay, <laughs> I do this because it causes it to <laughs> fucking adjust to zoom. Yeah, yeah. But um, threatening the camera. <laughs> I hear things here, but you know, I also hear I hear it from the opposite spectrum. I hear the deicide in our vocal attack. Yeah, you know, totally. I hear the Derek Roddy and the Pete Sandoval in the drums. Yeah. I hear yeah. the Napalm Death and the Fear Factory and the guitars. You know, I I hear a lot of that stuff. So, you know, I hear us drawing on our influences quite often. Mm-hmm. Right, and of course, you know, we're running it through our filters, and you know. Out the other end comes, you know, the origin stuff, and you know, people say what they say, and it's, you know, it's nice, it's awesome. I'm, I'm proud, I'm honored. Hell yeah! Why? But it is, but it's weird. It's yeah, compliments are strange. It's funny to, it's funny to, it's funny to hear that. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure. Why did James leave the band? Because my first time seeing Origin, I saw a freight train on stage, and it. He blew my fucking mind. Just like, I just couldn't believe the power that this man was putting off. He was just crazy. And d- his vocal delivery, it was just unlike anything that I'd ever seen at the time. His vocal delivery to this day is the best I've ever heard. Yeah, um, I mean, it's amazing. I and, guess. And li- live, you could just... That I mean, on record, from... it's amazing, but... Who's that... That kid from Lorna Shore, I guess. Oh, Will. 
Will Ramos. I guess mm-hmm. he's the baddest motherfucker out there right now. I'm just like, but still, he reminds me of old school James Lee. You know, I love James, and he's doing well. It wasn't working at a certain point in mm-hmm. time. Um, he wasn't handling the road very well, and unfortunately, we had to part ways. You know, after some unfortunate discussions. I saw him in Minnesota on the last tour, and, you know, same old James. I was so fucking nervous. I had not seen him in a long time, so... But yeah, uh, James, like I said, to this day, he has... I don't know if he even sings anymore, but he definitely has the best... And just like talking to him about it, he approached he approached death metal vocalists like a fucking singer, you know? he 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 would tell you about how his chest works, how his how his vocal cords work, and you know he had something that he referred to, or he has something. Uh, I keep talking about like he's dead. He's not dead, <laughs> but he has something that he kept referring to as natural compression, mm, yeah, and yeah. that was his his ability to keep from being too loud, keep from being too quiet. You know, I think he was like referring to his his power band, and yeah, it did not matter even. Every it didn't matter how fucked up he was. He would get on stage, bombed, and he would still deliver these sparkling performances. His timing was impeccable, yeah, yeah. and his voice never cracked. And he was just able to do that. You know, he was, that was that. Um, yeah, I mean, I asked him, I asked him a while back if he would contribute on a project I was working on, and he's like, nope. Well, you know, I think, <laughs> you know, after after his run with us, he went out with another band and has some i don't know but he retired at one point well okay i mean yeah he was amazing and he he was one of the first vocalists that i saw that was like this guy is just and this was before everyone was on click tracks the first time that i saw origin now it's pretty common that people are perfectly in time or at least close but he was just like so in time and nailing those parts with such precision that it gave me as a vocalist something to be inspired by because not a ton of vocalists were nailing stuff with perfect precision in that way back then. Well, and you know, he was right in the middle of the stage. So he was able to hear everything. So there'd be times where he would like half turn back and do like and conduct a bit. So I could tell where he was at and, um, yeah, he got he was it was interesting. He got a lot of that from Don Decker. Okay. You know, and if you listen to the <laughs> if you dare listen to the old Anal Blast records and you know, <laughs> you'll hear a lot of similarities like both of those guys could do that guttural, you know, from the ground all the way up to the high scream yeah. or the fry fry scream as they call it now and you know, they were both able to do that. They had very similar approaches and very similar tones. And I never put that, that together. Was, that's yeah, it's there. Yeah. Listen to Vaginal Vampire. <laughs> <laughs> we got any other questions going there, Harrison? Uh, yeah, we got one more. Okay. Uh, Double Plate seventy six asks most unique concert experience. That's kind of a common question. These ones are here. always so hard. Yeah. Because it's the like... most unique concert experience, you know. I uh, okay. Well, there's there's a few of them, and the one that's popping into my head right now is, 
I was with Skinless, and we went to play this festival in in Montreal, and it, we we drove up to play the fest, and then I think we I, it was a fly-in. F- no, we were there on tour, whatever. I was playing with a double. I was playing with two bass drums at the time, and we got there, and I'm looking at the house kit, and I'm like, I don't have a double pedal, and the guy's like, Oh, I don't have a second bass drum. And um, he's like, well, we got to, oh, shit, what am I going to do? And I just kind of looked over, and Gene Hoagland's standing there. I'm like, hi, Gene. I'm fucked. And he goes, you need a second bass drum? And I'm like, I do. He goes, you can borrow mine. No problem. And I'm like, do I owe you any money or anything? He goes, no, no, you can use it. Just use it. Just grab it. No problem. Take it. And so I played the show with the house bass drum and then Gene Hoagland's bass drum on the left. And it was when Strapping Young Lad was doing the Strapping Young Lad record. So it had that feather on it. And that was like one of my first experiences, my first of many like, how the hell are you that cool? Experience yeah, really, with Gene <laughs> Really, really nice guy. Like, what in the world, man? You've been there since the beginning. You... You've been there, you you hung out with Metallica in the early days, and you're here still doing this thing, and every time I meet him, I walk away with something just like, how is that guy that cool? <laughs> he's That's not awesome. jaded, he's not angry, you know, it, it, or if he is, he definitely has a place to put it, but man, that guy, so. That That's actually a good them. answer. Chain and I are like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they had hot dogs at a show one time or something like that. Um, I was out with Dying Fetus, and we were opening for Guar, and yada, yada, yada. I want to wear one of the masks one of these days and something, something, something. And at the end of the Dying Fetus set, I think we were closing with uh, something. What the fuck? Blunt Force Drama. I don't fucking remember the song. But um, uh, Brad, Brad Roberts, the drummer of Guar, he appears on the side of the stage and he's got the Gusher Jizmac mask. <laughs> Chucks it, he brings it out, puts it down. I put the Gusher Jizmac mask on. I'm like, oh, this is fucking heavy. And stood up, ha! got a pop from the crowd and played a dying fetus song in one of the Guar masks. Wow, that's amazing. Also a good story. I have a played new... A couple of, I wore a couple of the portal masks too. I wore the clockhead. Oh, dude, What? <laughs> That is yeah. so cool. Okay, that's the coolest one you have so far. <laughs> Portal is so good. Hell yeah. Yeah. I mean, Portal is amazing. I have a newfound love for Guar as well because there's a documentary about them on Amazon that we watched earlier this year. And I have never been really into Guar, but learning about the art collective of Guar and every amazing mind behind that band and that has been behind that band the entire time is um, incredible. And so no, fascinating. That, that was an interesting run. That was a two-month-long run. All that remains, origin. No, all that remains, dying fetus, guar. And you know, you know, a lot of a lot of good, a lot of cool things that I learned. A lot of questionable but cool things I learned. <laughs> learned some shit. Learned some shit parts too. But like, you know, that was for the War Party album. And I think that's the best Guar record, honestly. I think that's that's the best Guar record, War Party. It's the most... It's when they decided to be like a pissed-off thrash metal band. 
Yeah, I think and they cover they were, that in the documentary. Mm-hmm. They talk about when they it, were like, let's write a freaking thrash album, damn it. It was killer, man, because that band was on fire. Everybody in that band, that was Corey Smoot and Todd Evans. You know, Corey Smoot was, was he was Flattest Maximus, you know, the second guitarist. Yeah. And and um, Todd Evans of Mobile Death Camp, he was Beefcake the Mighty, the bass player. And I think they wrote the majority of that record, and... Just watching that band work. A, they're all fucking massive, massive players. They're killer players. But, you know, they get to the venue at 10 a.m. And that machine is, that's an interesting machine to watch. And it was like some of the best shows I ever played because I was out with Fetus at the time. So, you know, getting to do that thing was cool. Yeah, that's that's awesome. awesome. I'm bummed that I didn't see you play with uh, Fetus. Me too. What year was that? 2004 I think or maybe okay leaning into 2005 because it took us right up to Christmas it was like October it was like all of October all of November and or maybe it was a little bit later but it took us right up like it ended like right before right before, right before Christmas so you only did that one tour with them yeah yeah and uh, we talked a little bit after that and you know we were kind of discussing and then I ended up rejoining origin so that was that okay definitely i would say that's a good choice john longstreth was, origin it was a great experience those fetus guys are awesome i enjoyed the hell out of that <clears> tour. <throat> yeah they're one of my, my man chaney's favorite bands yeah absolutely if they're not, a good my, band to look up they're a good band to look up to man they do it right i know so. i've been uh knocking them off for years that's what i do <laughs> that's what you do you knock off uh origin and fetus yeah i mean that's kind of <laughs> like what you were saying john uh, I'm the same way. I'm just trying to sound like my influences. So any originality or anything, any influence that anybody else is getting, that's like what they're hearing. You know, I'm yeah. not, I'm not like, oh, I'm going to yeah. make the most original thing today. You know, that's not like how I think of it at all. Yeah, absolutely. Oh man. It's just like, as the years go on, I'm always doing some kind of, well, the last six months, I've sounded a lot more like Nico McBrain, and the next six months, I end up sounding more like Derek Roddy. And well, I'm not getting my Brandon Thomas chops in here anymore. Well, I gotta sound like P. Sandoval now. I just keep pulling these five to eight elements that I know, and they keep coming in at varying different degrees. And so that's just what comes out on the other end. Yep. Agreed. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I think that's a good place to end it. Thank yeah, you man. so much, John, for, for shooting the so shit much. with us and being on the podcast. I know that both of us have been looking forward to having you on. So thanks for coming on and sharing a bunch of rad stories and information. It's my pleasure, guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, man. You had a huge impact yeah. on me, dude, for real. Like, uh, Thank you. Just got to say it straight up. I mean, like, you know, these game the changer. Paul and- Thank you. Paul and Mike still tell the stories. He, they still tell the animosity stories. <laughs> I think oh, I've God. heard the one, right? That you went up to them at a, you met Paul at like a music store or something. Oh yeah. That's there. He's talking about when we were on tour with them, but yeah, uh, I'm like you. when we were super young, Paul worked at guitar center in San Francisco. And so I'd be Hold like, there. Holy shit, dude, that's freaking Paul from origin. Like all <laughs> nervous to talk to him and stuff, you know, like 16. <laughs> The one I liked the most was you guys, I guess, you you took showers at the car wash. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, we definitely dude. did that. We're like, dude, just put a couple quarters in there. We'll hose each other down. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like fun. Oh, and, and Chaney, man, I like, 
when when James was first out of the band, you were on my short list for for the vocalist position. No, that would have been sick. Is that for, been sick, that's dude. the craziest thing I've ever heard in my entire life? <laughs> yeah, can, yeah. We had die. like we had like three or four people we were kind of like talking about, and it ended up being this cat Micah that Paul really wanted in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Anyway. Wow, that's awesome. All right, well, All right we can it, end it there. It, yeah, we'll end it there. That's a good one. <laughs> that's amazing. Thank you so much, yeah. John. All right, man. We'll talk to you soon. Really Enjoy good talking to you, man. Enjoy those empanadas. Great talking yeah. to you, man. All right, dude. Maybe we'll hang out soon. Have a good night. Yes. See you in the spring. All okay. Right? Hell yeah, man. Yeah. All right. We'll see you soon. We'll be out in the spring. Hell awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Let's I should end have it. played that a long time ago but anyway all right everyone have a great week yeah we will see you bastards next week yeah thank you so much for listening we love you guys peace